Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome to another episode of Dakota Spotlight. I really appreciate you listening and would like you to know about Spotlight Plus. It is a subscription to Dakota Spotlight that provides bonus content, early access, and ad-free listening, all while supporting my work and the show you love. You can subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app or visit dakotaspotlight.com. You're listening to Dakota Spotlight. My name is James Wolner. This is episode 16 of season 5, A Better Search for Barbara Cotton. Dakota Spotlight is a production of Forum Communications. Over the last few weeks, I've been getting a few emails about open records. What are they? How do you get them? In this episode, we're going to take a closer look at that very thing. But first, some updates. I am still waiting on some final details before heading to Montana, where I hope to walk in Stacy Warder's footsteps. I'll be traveling to Scobie, Montana, and to Malta, Montana, where Stacy Warder was arrested and committed suicide. As I said, there are still some details to be worked out, some of them legal ones, but I hope to get up there to Montana soon. I want to also tell you about a new Facebook group for Barbara Cotton. This new group is run by friends and extended family of Barbara and is 100% focused on Barbara's case. That group is called Find Barb Cotton. You should check it out now to keep up on all the new developments about Barbara's case. In other news, at the time of this recording, it is June 10, 2021, and so summer is finally here, even in North Dakota. Summer means new things, swimming, fishing, camping, no school, and all kinds of fun things. And Dakota Spotlight Podcast is also going to be doing something a little different over the summer. Starting on July 7th, once a week for six weeks, I will be releasing a podcast episode with an interview with a fellow true crime podcast host or producer. Let's call it our little summer series through July and half of August. There are some great people out there doing great things, and I'm looking forward to introducing you to some of them, some of them from all over the world. Finally, I want to remind you about this. On July 10th in Zeeland, North Dakota, a memorial ceremony of sorts will be taking place in honor of Wade and Ellen Zick, who were murdered in Zealand in 1976. If you listen to season two of this podcast, you know all about that story. If you've not listened to it, you should really check it out. We're going to meet at the Community Center in downtown Zealand at 10 a.m. Then, at around 10.30, we'll all head out to the area where Wade and Ellen lost their lives, about one mile northeast of town, where a memorial monument will be erected. Some words will be spoken there in honor of the Zicks, and after that, it's back to Zealand Hall for a burger feed put on the Zealand Lions Club. Once again, that is in Zealand, North Dakota, on July 10th, starting at 10 a.m. We took it all. 
We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, dear listener. This is James, host of Dakota Spotlight, inviting you to subscribe to Spotlight Plus. For as little as $5 per month, you will get the warm feeling of supporting the show and also unlock access to bonus episodes. Get the episodes early and listen ad-free. That's right, no more ads. Apple users can subscribe to Spotlight Plus Standard right in the Apple Podcasts app. If you want to dive deeper and get even more exclusive benefits, subscribe to Spotlight Plus Premium or Spotlight Plus Ultimate. Go to dakotaspotlight.com for more details. And so with that, let's learn about open records laws and transparency of government. For this segment, I visited with Rob Port of Minot, North Dakota. Rob Port, thanks so much for joining us on Dakota Spotlight Podcast and a better search for Barbara Cotton. How are you today? I am doing fine. How about you introduce yourself? We are technically co-workers, colleagues, aren't we? Uh, we are. Um, we both work for a forum communications company. Um, I have a little bit different job, although we do some of the same things. I um, am a columnist. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. Am I still a blogger? Um, I still haven't said anything. Blog. That's how I started. I started saying blog.com um, going on 18 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's where I got my start. That's where I, I built my audience. That's, you know, that my work there is, is what convinced forum communications that, that I was um, somebody they wanted on their roster of talent, I guess. Right. And uh, I still I still post there, but I, I mean, primarily I write for the forum, and I, I guess I write columns now. So I do that, and then I do the Plain Talk uh, live stream slash podcast. I've been doing the podcast for a while. We've added live streams on YouTube, um, which, which are basically it's just a live stream of me recording the podcast, but I'll tell you it's it's been a lot of fun. Um, I think there's people who like to, uh, you know, I mean, they like to see the people who are, are talking. Yeah. Well, for, well, for me, for me too, at an, from an interviewer perspective, it's nice to pick up on the visual cues of the person that you're talking to. It, it makes it, I think it just makes it fun. Humans communicate better face to face. So I think when you can see the person, it makes the whole thing flow better. So that, that's been a lot of fun, but that's, that's what I do for forum communications. I, I primarily focus on, politics and government accountability. I, I think of myself as an opinion journalist, so I'm not just doing hot takes all day. I try to do original reporting. Um, uh, some of that comes from my background. I spent 10 years as a private investigator working for my father. My father's a, a law enforcement veteran. He was a uh, a state trooper in, in Alaska. And when he got out of the state troopers, he started a private detective firm and and we did a little bit. I mean, I, I served civil process. We we did a little bit of everything, but we also did a lot of of criminal defense work. And and when I say we, he did it. Uh, I was go for right. He I was I, I did I did a lot of the grunt work. But I would you know I would go through and put together timelines from documents. Um, I would put together witness lists. I would help him um, assist him in, in interviews sometimes if I was lucky. Um, and did a, did a ton of, of record searches, you know, we, and we do background checks and things like that. So 
lot a lot of that skill set is is still very relevant for me today. Awesome. And that's why I wanted to have you on this episode because we're going to talk about open records and transparency of government. And you, you know, I've read some of your articles obviously and you're I would say you're aggressive when it comes to open records requests. You're really good at it. And, you know, you and I have talked and you know a lot about it. So you're the perfect person to talk to in this episode. Because I want to, you know, talk about what open records are, why we need them, why they're important, how to go about getting them. Because I get a lot of questions from my listeners. You know, how do, how do I do that? And I've also gotten some subtle criticism for... Not necessarily open records requests, but sort of asking too many questions in this current season I'm working on with uh, missing Barbara Cotton out of Williston. I've had a few comments from people, well, you know, you, who are you to ask all of these questions kind of attitude? And my answer to that is I'm a resident of North Dakota. And um, so that's why I wanted to have you on here. And so kind of start out with what are open records and why do you think they're important well first of all in in the state of north dakota an open record is is any record any information that the government has that hasn't been specifically denied public access by by law so in in the state of north dakota it's it's just about everything um right up to including you know like like text messages between public officials if they're talking about public business um, that is a public record. Um, unless, and, and there are, so I, and that's an important thing if you're going to use North Dakota's open records laws. And those are the laws that I'm most familiar with. I, you know, every state has their own laws. The federal government has their own galaxy of, of, of open laws. Um, I'm most familiar with using North Dakota state laws because that's, that's my beat. And, and it, I think that's a very useful thing to think of if you're going to use North Dakota's law is the presumption is it's an open record. And actually, by law, if they deny you a record, they have to cite the law that allows them to do it. That, that's a requirement in the law. So if they if they come back to your open records request and they say, you don't have access to these, these are not public record, you can ask them to cite the law. And in fact, they're supposed to. Cite me the specific statute. That's very, very helpful in forcing them to come up with the, the, the legal justification because the law puts the burden on them. It's not on you. You have the presumption. It's like being in court. You have the presumption of innocence. You have the presumption that, that you have access to these records until they can prove that you don't. Um, so that's, that's very useful. Why are open records important? Well, they're important because without them, the only information we have is what you know, government officials choose, choose to share with us. And I, I mean, listen, most people who work in government, I, you know, particularly outside of elected office, um, here in North Dakota, I, most of them are good people, right? They're, they're just, they're just people doing a job and they're trying to do the best they can. And, you know, but, but any, any, anywhere can be somebody who is, or, or even a good person can find themselves in a situation where they're afraid of what somebody's going to write, or they're afraid of what somebody's going to say, and they might want to hide the information and without open records laws, without access to this information, we don't have anything to go on, but their word. And we shouldn't have to just go on their word. You know, there are there we we have records, we keep records, should have access to them. You know, it's it's important for all sorts of things. You know, things like policy making, right? I mean, how do you make how do you make good public policy 
if you can't look at things like data? You know, how do you make policy about prisons if you don't have data about inmates? How do you make criminal justice reform if you don't have data about arrests and crime? And and what good is that data if if the people, you know, law enforcement or or the state or whatever um, can can pick and choose what they're going to tell you? So to me, that's that's why it's important. I am an I am an evangelist when it comes to open records law. In fact, I, I don't I, I help a lot of people behind the scenes. Um, most, uh, Wes Wes Falome, who is the the leader of the um, the Black Lives Matter movement in in the Fargo area. Um, during the during the protests last year, I, I think I think a lot of people know I, I broke this story, but the deputy chief of the Fargo Police Department had had like was wearing plain clothes and he was drinking a beer and he had infiltrated the Black Lives Matter protests. And I kind of with an open records request, I kind of broke that story and, and Wes saw it and, and got in touch with me. Um, and, and he and I broke, uh, you know, uh, struck up a friendship and it was kind of based on me helping him file. And I, he filed his own request, but I, I gave him some guidance, some insights, um, file open records requests. And, uh, you know, people might, given my political proclivities, um, people might find that a little odd. But, you know, again, it doesn't matter who it is. If you are a member of the public, and we all are, then you have access to these records. Full stop. Fall is here and class is back in session. It's a busy time for students and faculty. And with a new school year comes new adventures, new experiences, and new goals to achieve. But as much promise and excitement as the fall semester brings, there can also be a dark side to it, one in which the unthinkable can happen. I'm Amy Slashberg. And I'm Megan Sachs. And we're the host of the podcast, Campus Killings. As educators and criminologists, we teach, research, write, and podcast about victims, offenders, and the issues that surround our criminal justice system. Amy and I have both worked in the field of criminal justice for 20 years, myself in law enforcement and Amy in the mental health field. In Campus Killings, we'll dive into some of the most shocking and tragic murders to happen on school grounds, and we'll provide our analysis on the cases we cover as both educators and trained criminologists. We'll discuss what went wrong and what could have been done differently to prevent the tragic outcome. Campus Killings is available everywhere you listen to podcasts. Subscribe now so you don't miss a single episode of Campus Killings. Scams and Cons tells you how scams are run and why people fall for them. And I've lost everything. It's all I had. Uh, it's any inheritance that I could have passed on my daughter. Many of the people you meet today were financially devastated when they started using Jeff's system. And now they're making more money than they ever dreamed of. Scams are illusions intended to make you believe that giving up your money is the most sensible thing you can do. Find out how it's done by listening to Scams and Cons wherever you get podcasts. How uh, now? I, my opinion, or I don't know a lot about it, but I think North Dakota is pretty good on this front as far as the laws and the uh, and the attitude. We we are excellent, and I, I think a lot of that excellence lays in just how simple the law is. In, in in what I just got done talking about is that fundamental presumption that the records belong to you, unless the legislature has come up with a good reason for for shutting them down. That is the most excellent part of North Dakota's records. The, the burden's not on you to prove that you deserve access to these records. The presumption is that you deserve access. And so from there, it's um, it's very, very good. And and I think we have to give a lot of credit to Attorney General Wayne Stengem, who I, I don't know if a lot of people know this, was responsible for writing a lot of the laws that we have today back when he served in the state legislature. And then now as the Attorney General, so in, in North Dakota, 
any citizen, the, the attorney general's office is basically in charge of enforcing the open records laws. Any citizen, if, if you feel like, and, and not just open records laws, but also open meetings, part of the same thing. So, so if you feel like you were improperly denied access to a record or improperly denied access to a meeting, anybody can file a request for an opinion with the attorney general's office. I've done this dozens of times. Um, and and the, the attorney general will render an opinion um, about whether or not that record was, was inappropriately. And then he'll like order it put out. And then from there, there's, you know, the state agencies don't have to follow what the attorney general says. Um, and if they don't, then I guess your, your recourse is to take them to, to court. But generally they do. If the attorney general comes down and says, those records have to be open. Um, the state agencies generally comply. So, so yes, North Dakota has very good laws, and and to me, those are those two things are, are the big reasons why. Let me tell you a couple of things that I think I know about open records and requesting them, and you tell me if I'm right or wrong here. I believe um, you do not have to do this in writing. It can be an email. Well, an email is writing, but you don't have to call up an agency. It can be verbally. That's what I was getting at. I believe also that. By law, you are not required to tell them why you want the record. What I'm unsure of is if they are, quote unquote, well, I guess they're allowed to ask, but you don't need to tell them. Does that sound right? Yeah. No, you don't have to have a reason uh, for open records. They're open. If they're, if they're open, you know, you could tell them you're going to wallpaper your bathroom with them <laughs> or something. Right? Yeah. It does not matter. Um, I, and I, 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 I will admit, I, I will say if you're gonna if you're gonna request an open records request, it's best to just especially just this isn't like a legal thing to me. This is just a strategy. We're North Dakota, right? We're a, we're a laid back people, and we like we like to be friendly. Be friendly, right? Don't don't go in swing if you're going in for records. Don't go in swinging a battle axe. Just call, talk to them nicely. I, I understand it can be frustrating, and you can feel like they're being evasive. And a lot of times they're not being evasive. They're maybe just not. Some of the places that I ask for records, they don't get a lot of open records requests. And so they're not sure how to respond and they can seem a little suspicious. Just be friendly um, and be nice. So that's, that's, that's a tip that I, I have is, is you, um, a little bit of kindness, right? A little, little bit of sugar to help the medicine go down is, uh, help, helps a lot. Um, you know, but, but in terms of, no, you, you, do, not, you do not need a reason for the record, you're a member of the public. That's reason enough. Right. Um, and and w what was your other question? Um, they they're not, let's see, I, you don't need a reason and you don't have to do it in writing. No, no. Um, I, I usually use email because um, to, to me, it, it kind of, if you write a letter that's going to take, you know, you got to wait a day or so for it to show up in the mail. If, if you send an email, you know, you can, you know, they got it it's got a timestamp and a, a date stamp so that, you know, when you sent it, you have a record of it, that it went, but it's also immediate, right? The minute you fire it off, they have it. Um, so I like using email, but you could call them on the phone, send them a fax, um, send them a telegram, I guess. If you <laughs> yeah. If you, if you yeah. communicate to them in some way that you want these records. Now I, I usually find it's best just for a matter of if, if a dispute should end up arising, you know, even if I'm talking to somebody on the phone and I ask for the records, I will then follow up with an email and say, you know, per our, our phone conversation. Um, one, one tip about requesting it though, I, especially in North Dakota, I wouldn't start out super formal either. Um, 
you know, let let them, you know, and 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 be careful about being too specific in your request because sometimes, and and again, I think most of these people are good people. I don't think they're trying to hide anything. But if you are going to run into somebody who may want to try to to play some games, if you get too specific and start like like one problem that I have is or that I, I was I made a request and I had asked for a specific document based on what I thought the name of that report was. And actually, the office, they call it something else. And so they played a little game. They knew what I was asking for. But because I used the wrong name, they came back. We have no responsive records. Well, obviously, that was baloney. Um, they had the records. They just called them something else. And so be general at first, you know, and, and just, you know, I, I don't usually have a problem. And I'm, I'm not, when I'm asking for records, I, 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 don't, I don't play cloak and dagger games. I'm pretty honest about what I'm looking for and, and why I'm looking for it. And I'll just tell them, like, this is what I'm looking for. I need some help. And 99% of the time, you know, they'll be very, very helpful. And, and you're not going to run into problems if you get too specific. But I, I think some people feel like they have to type up this, like, very lawyerly, like, FOIA request letter. Um, you know, don't do that. Uh, just just send a friendly email. Say, hey, you know, I need some help. I'm looking for records. Are you the right person to talk to? If not, can you direct me to the right person? And this is what I'm looking for. You're, you, in the long run, you're going to get your records faster that way. That's interesting. I think I made the mistake early on a few years ago when I started some of this is taking one of those templates for FOIA, Freedom of Information Act template, and sending it off and feeling like this is going to work good because they're going to see that this guy knows what he's talking about, even though I really didn't know. It was probably my first one, you know. Um, so that's a great tip. And I agree with you that being nice, I've, I've referred to it another way. I've I told people I, it's kind of like an art form. It's not just science. Like the science part is that you are legally, um, you know, allowed to see some of this stuff. The art form part is that what you're talking about being nice, like finding because <clears throat> you're working with human beings. Right. And I try to remind myself that, you know, if you request something from the city hall of, you know, Hebron, North Dakota, or in Glenola, North Dakota, or, you know, wherever, Rugby, North Dakota, some of these clerks, you know, they might be working part-time. Um, they just happen to answer the phone. I don't even know that it's, you know, fair to them to expect them to be 100% familiar with these open records laws and just say right away, oh, yeah, I can get you that. You know, they want to make I, sure I, they're... Yeah. Well, we, we used to do... So so criminal background checks were something that we used to do. And, and we did it because at the time there wasn't, these records weren't online. And in fact, in North Dakota, they still aren't. The state Supreme Court, talking specifically about criminal and civil records, um, the state Supreme Court tried to put a lot of them online, in fact, last year. And I think I, I single-handedly got it shut down because they had published my social security number in my records and a lot of other people's social security numbers. And I said, hey, wait a minute. Uh, you guys realize what you put online here? Because this is not great. <laughs> Uh, one one uh, one instance where Rob Port fought against a little bit of transparency. It was too transparent. <laughs> um, yeah, I had a speeding ticket. My social security number is hanging out there, and it's like, what? <laughs> what is this? Um, but anyway, so um, you know, I I, actually, I I went to I went to Rolla, North Dakota, to the courthouse, and it's like there. I was like, well, where are your where are your criminal records for 1999? It was like in an orange crate under a clerk's desk, not even like alphabetized or like it was some filing system that she had working. So, I mean, 
obviously that's a very different situation than if you go to like Cass County. So I think if you're patient and realizing that, you know, some they just don't have the resources or the staffing to, to turn around your request as maybe as quickly as you want it. I also have a story um, recently where I asked a sheriff's department in rural North Dakota for some records from, oh, criminal records or reports from like the late 80s, I think it was. And, you know, the guy was just honest with me and he said, this is the first open records request I've ever had to deal with. The first, we should, we should talk about redactions. The, the first one he sent me was just redacted to no end. I almost couldn't read the thing. And I called him up and we talked and he told me, you know, this is the first one I've ever done. And I sent him some other police reports I had from other counties redacted. And, you know, he reached out and got some more information. And sure enough, you know, he got me a much more legible report in the end. So it's again, it's about dealing with people and, um, you know, being nice and just understanding their situation goes a long way. Yeah. Which, which, by the way, you bring up you bring up redactions. Redactions can also be challenged, right? I, I think sometimes people get confused, and it's like, well, they gave me the records, but they have all these redactions in them. If you feel a redaction was done inappropriately, you can also challenge that to the attorney general's office. So even though you got the records, if you feel like they were they were redacted in some way that was inappropriate or not in accordance with law, and also they have to justify those redactions by citing the law in the same way that they would have to justify if, if they decide that they're not going to send you the record. And I actually have a little bit of a war story. So I, I several years ago had, had sort of a, like a very high profile, you know, battle running with the North Dakota university system who are uh, horrendous when it comes to open records, they hate the open records laws and, and they think they're special and they're exempt from them. And, and I had been having this battle. And so finally, I, I, I'll admit that I was, I was trolling the president of North Dakota State University a little bit. I, I filed an open records request for 30 days worth of his emails. And, you know, they wanted, at first they wanted to charge me $2,000 um, because they had to have a lawyer go through and, and which by the way is a, a part of North Dakota's law. If it takes them more than an hour to get your records, they can charge you an hourly fee. Um, one, way you can get, one way you can get around that is make lots of little requests. Um, make a small request, let them complete that request, make another follow-up small request. You're going to annoy them, but you're also going to get around the fee. This is how I had to do things before I worked for a giant media corporation. I was paying for all this out of my own pocket. Um, so just <laughs> to, to summarize there, I think some people understand, like if you have five things you want to find out, if you send them all in one request, they'll work on it for one hour and then start charging you. But if you send them as five individual requests, you know, A, B, C, D, E, you get an hour per request. So that's right. Uh, but, but let each request, you can't stop, you can't just send them in separate emails and have them treat them separately. You have to let them finish the first request first. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and it, it takes longer, but it'll get you around. Um, it, but also, you know, a lot of times they'll be really good about working with you. Like if you ask for 30 days of emails, they'll say, well, do you want all his spam too? Well, obviously, no, I don't want spam. Um, you know, so so you can work with them a little bit when, when if they're working with you in good faith, they're they're usually pretty good about letting you narrow it down. But this, so I, I put in for thirty days worth of emails, and at first they wanted, so I, I challenged that right because they they just no no we have to have a lawyer look at all of this stuff because of the student privacy and all this other stuff, which I thought was baloney. So I. Complain to the AG's office. AG says, nope, got to give them the records. So they end up giving me all the records for free, 
I didn't have to pay any. So I had 30. So it was like, it was like 600 pages worth of, worth of PDF. Right. So I go through this and right at, at the very end, I saw this odd email that was redacted. The sender was redacted. And it was like, hey, we're wheels up. And, and basically, it was the presidents of NDSU and UND who were going to go on a private airplane ride out to Western North Dakota to go pheasant hunting. And somebody was going to pay for this. And the identity of that person was, was shielded, was redacted. And the justification was there is a redaction for like foundation donors. Like if you make a donation, you can make an anonymous donation. There's a, there's a statute in North Dakota law that makes that private. So I challenged that. I challenged that to the AG's office, and it comes back, and it turns out the person was not only a state senator from Grand Forks, but also the head of a very large, a large architecture firm, who has done you know hundreds of millions of dollars worth of construction work on the NDSU campuses, often endorsed by the UND and NDSU president, who's paying for a private airplane ride for a luxury pheasant hunting trip, in North Dakota, and. And, you know, just so sometimes you have to be patient and you have to be tenacious, but you can find those things if, if, if you're, if you're wow. detail oriented. Let me ask you a question. Just thought of this. If you were to guess what percent of state employees, and we're talking high school teachers, any, anyone are sort of on a day to day basis, remind themselves or even aware that their emails are potentially public record. Do you think they have a high awareness or what do you think um i can tell you i'm I'm probably responsible for a lot of them having more awareness of of it than they than they so when i got you didn't really read a lot north about north dakota's open records laws back when i was getting started i think i kind of ushered in a new era of using them aggressively as i have and and, and and in some ways invited people to say, oh, well, these laws have to change. I mean, we've had in some legislative sessions, we've really had to fight off some efforts to close down some of these things. Um, I, I think I think a lot of them are intellectually aware, um, but it's they're not necessarily. Um, I think they forget about it. Right. Um, and the text messages are another thing where, where they think, well, if I'm really going to get up to no good, I'll, I'll do it on text message. They won't get that. Um, you know, so and, and also you got to remember, um, they're not supposed to do official state business through other venues. But look at how many different ways we have to communicate with one another. Um, you have, I mean, Facebook Messenger, you have Twitter direct messages, you have Instagram messages. I mean, you have all these different services out there. And then you have the ones that are specifically intended to be private you have things like signal and telegram what's, what's to say that these people couldn't be you know putting their information on there now a lot of times you catch them anyway it's it's remarkable the sort of things that they'll talk about in their publicly available email addresses i mean i mean technically even a school teacher um their emails again subject to whatever statutes may exist for things like student privacy or what have you but their emails are as a, as a practical matter open to the public so it's you know and that's that's as it should be um you know which is which is another thing which if you're if you're getting open records requests just because something is public doesn't i mean i'm always very careful like if there's somebody's like home phone number or something you know there's no reason the public needs i i try to go through and redact some of that stuff and and take it out because there's no reason to to needlessly subject people to potential harassment or whatever um, you know, again, you, you're dealing with human beings. There's, there's, even if you're being aggressive and even if you're being critical, 
um, you're you're going to get more mileage out of treating them like human beings than you are, you know, coming in trying to cut people's heads off. Yeah. Let me give you ask you a couple other questions. Uh, my experience here. Um, first, I want to talk about something uh, a request I've been working on, and then something I would I think is a loophole in the law, basically. And there's probably more that you might know about, but. <clears throat> I think you're a little aware of this. I've been working with Williston PD to get some records, and they are currently, um, since January, they've been working on a project where they are digitizing all of their old um, documents from, I think, back to the 50s through who knows when. But mine, the ones I'm interested in are around 81 when this Barbara Cotton went missing. And they've been, you know, I mean, we've been patiently waiting since January. The project is still ongoing. The documents are in Bismarck somewhere. And speaking of, so my, recently I've done made some requests and I've gotten the answer back that my request was not specific enough. Like I knew that something happened in August of 1980 and I had information on a, the age of a victim, but I didn't have the name. And in that case, they said they were not specific enough. But really what I want to ask you about is this this part about the, the documents being off-site. Part of the response was that it would you know cause us too much trouble. That's not the word they used. Undue hardship um, to go to Bismarck and look through these uh, records. What do you think the attorney general would say about that part? Um, well, for, for, first, I, there's, there's two parts. I, the, the part where there's you're not being too specific enough. I think that they're probably treading on thin ice with that. What they would be smarter to do if I were them is I would come back and say, because I mean, I've, I've, I've tried that where you, you, you don't have, you're looking for John Smith and you don't have like a date of birth or something to narrow it down. You know, how many Smiths are in the database for crying out loud? I mean, it's or Anderson or something like that. It's, it's going to be enormous. And so, you know, well, I would come back to you and I would say, well, in order for us to, to go through every John Anderson to find the one that you're looking for, it's going to take us this. That's going to cost you $10,000 because I'm going to have to, you know, I would send you that. You're obviously not going to pay it. Um, and on, you know, it's it's you can you can send them on a wild goose chase if you want, you know, but there's you know, I, I think I think what the law allows is a sort of price rationing for that to say, well, it's going to cost you. Um you know, so that I, I think that's that that would be a better way for them to handle it if you just don't have enough information to narrow it down. Because it's fair for them, I mean, they have a lot of information, and it's fair for them to say, "You don't have enough information for me to narrow this stuff down." Um, the, the part about the records being in Bismarck, I think, is extremely problematic. First of all, kudos to them for digitizing this stuff. I mean, let's let's acknowledge for a moment that the, their overall intent here to make those records available. What you know, wonderful, wonder, good on them. Uh, that's a wonderful way for them to spend their resources. And I mean, everything from genealogy to, to journalism, like what you're doing, um, that's an important thing. Um, it's not an excuse to where they can delay your, your open records request for weeks and weeks or, or months on end, you know, because they've sent the records somewhere else. I, I actually ran into this. So this is, this is just super weird. Um, I don't, because I, I, I didn't end up actually even writing any, because I like, 90% of the open records requests I file, I don't write anything about, right? Because I'll, I'll, I'll get a look under the rock and it's like, oh, well, there's nothing there, which I didn't know until I looked under the rock. But I was trying to get the ordinances of some city because somebody, somebody was telling, I, I don't even remember the story, but somebody was telling me some city council member was up to no good. And so I was trying to, to find out 
you know, what, what level of veracity we're dealing with here. So I, I wanted a copy of, of the city's ordinances. And the clerk told me, well, you know, we don't have them. We're in the process of rewriting our ordinances and our attorney has them all. And I said, okay, well, <laughs> how, can, how can the law of your town not be available, right? You know, it's, it's like, well, you can't have a copy until we get them back. It's like, well, there's just one copy? Like, are they, are they carved in stone? Right. I mean, I mean, they're not. Are, do you not have any ordinances right now in effect? Because if there's ordinances in effect, I'd like to think that somebody could get a copy of them so they could follow them. Right. Uh, you know, you don't have them posted on your website anywhere. Where am I? Where, what am I supposed to do? So that's, I think I think and I don't want to put words in my good friend Wayne Stendham's mouth. I have a feeling that if he were asked to file, you know, render an opinion on that, he would probably find that they're violating open records laws because there's no exemption on the law for uh, somebody's using them right now, right? Um, you know, there's there's an exemption for well, it's a it's a you know, like if it's law enforcement, it's a matter that's currently being investigated. Um, a lot of times you'll see exemptions for draft materials, right, where it's like. And I think that's fair. Like, I, I don't think that you should get to see, like, the first draft of some report that the governor's office is going to produce. They should be allowed to, like, work through and, like, go through and make, mis- you know, they, they shouldn't have to give you, like, an error-ridden document that's their first draft that they never intended to make public. Like, so fair, right? Um, but there's there's nothing on the law, as far as, in the law, as far as I know, that says that, that you know, because they're digitizing them and because they've given them... I'm assuming to some third-party contractor who's doing the digitization that you don't have that you don't have access to them, right? You, you they're still a public record. You're still a member of the public. You still have access to them. Um, they should they should I in my mind and by my understanding of the law, they should turn them over. Um, I, I think you would probably have a lot of success if you went to the AG's office with a complaint. Now, now one thing. I've been, t- I've been talking that up about going to the AGs for complaints, and it is a very powerful tool. Uh, I would use it as a tool of last resort, though, um, because it, it is a lengthy process. They can take up to six months to, to, to get it done. Um, now, usually it usually happens a lot faster, but I think the law allows them up to six months. And I've had one or two that were, you know, pretty detailed that took months to, to get done. So, you know, if, and, and, if, and also... If you file a complaint with the AG's office, um, you stop the clock on like 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 whatever agency you're dealing with. They're not gonna they're not gonna keep trying to turn over the records. They're gonna they're gonna just communicate with the AG's office and wait for the AG to issue an opinion. So I would use it as a matter of of of, of last resort. One one tool that you can do is you can kind of if, if you're having trouble with somebody, the AG's office is typically pretty good if you call them. And just ask for some help and say, listen, I've been trying to get these records. This is what I've done. Um, you know, they're not giving them to me. Can can you talk with them? And a lot of times the AG's office will call them if if they feel like you're being improperly denied or, or they have an inkling that you are. They will call them and, and say, hey, uh, you know, get the get the let out. Um, that's sort of an informal process. Maybe I have more success with that because I'm I'm, you know, maybe more high profile than your average record requester. But. I have found that that tactic works well, and, and especially make it clear to the AG's office. I'd rather not go through the. I, I just want the record, right? If, I, I think if you keep your focus on, I just want access to the information. I don't want to try to embarrass anybody. I don't want. To, I'm not trying to, to to manufacture a headline here or something. I just want to get the information. 
um, you know, I, I think if you keep that attitude, you'll have a lot of success. So let's, uh, I don't have you for much longer. Um, if you've got a couple more minutes, um, sure. this loophole I'm, is exactly what you're bringing up. Um, so for criminal records or for criminal investigations, active and ongoing, uh, information about active and ongoing cases are exempt from the open records laws. We don't get to see them, which makes sense to me. You know, everyone can't be following along with whatever investigations going on around the corner. Oh, well, right. And, and the detective detectives and whoever, I mean, they deserve to be able to do, you know, maybe pursuing a lead that turns out to be nothing. You know, it's, 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 you know, we, they should be allowed some elbow room to do their job. Right. However, this is where I think it becomes a potential loophole. What, there's nothing that's keeping an agency from keeping a a case open and ongoing forever for the for the purpose of keeping it out of the from not being transparent. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I, that, that, that's a good question. Now, I don't deal a lot with with criminal records, um, you know, because obviously my my realm is politics. So a lot of times I'm dealing with with other types of reports or, or whatever, and not specifically criminal records. And, and usually when, you know, when, in the past, when I would do, it was, it was it matters that it had already been adjudicated, right? Like if I'm doing a criminal background check, it's, it's a matter that's already been resolved. Guilt or innocence have been established and, and it's just a matter of public record. Um, you know, that's, that's a good point. Like if it's a really, I'm, I'm assuming because you deal with like old cold cases. Like this season, it's 40 years ago and there's some Really, we have some real questions about the initial investigation, and sure would like to know. I would have to I would have to look at the statute again because I don't have it in front of me. But that's a really good point because I you hear all the time about a law enforcement agency is reopening a case, and and what so what parts of that case are are no longer public? I mean, obviously, parts of it would be public record. Parts of it, I assume, would have been reported by the news media. There would have been some level of access to reports. Uh, you know, it's that's a really good question. I'm I'm not sure, and maybe that's an area. I, I know that like because um, I I did a I did a story here in the city of Minot with a city manager who was was being, um, well he he was threatening uh, employees with uh, with termination if they if they'd been talking to me uh, as as it turns out. Oh. And, <laughs> and and when I when I got when I got the records because he had they, he had done it under the guise of a workplace investigation. So he was supposedly investigating workplace conduct. Now, the thing is, is is state law puts a clock on that, right? They can only keep it for 30 days after it's but they have 30 days basically to complete the the investigation of of workplace misconduct and then the stuff it becomes public. I if I'm remembering right, don't quote me on that. Read the statute. But if I'm remembering right, that's what it was. And so there's a clock on that area of law. Now, I don't know if that same clock exists for law enforcement. I'm inclined to believe, given, you know, how long things like murder investigations can take. You know, I can't imagine that they put a clock on that, but I I don't know. Um, And I I guess I I don't know what what the statute is. That's a really good question. I wish I had that answer. To my knowledge, it's just if it's open and ongoing, as is Barbara Cotton's case, they just, the records are not available you know we do not have a right to to view them so which which if there's if if you're in a situation where there's something that that'll and i'm not saying that that's the case with with the cotton case but um if if there's something law enforcement wanted to hide i guess technically they could just claim forever that the 
the case the case where they've never made an arrest is always still open for and being investigated. But even so, I mean, there's there's always that thing where where law enforcement holds back certain information so that at some point they get a confession, they can weed out a a good confession from a false confession, you know, and and, and I I mean I believe in in protecting law enforcement's ability to do that. That is a valid investigatory technique. Um, you know, so so I I don't know I don't know where to draw those lines. As, as a fierce advocate for open records, on the other hand, I I also don't want to impede our law enforcement officers who are acting in good faith to solve crimes. So, you know, that's a that's a tough one. That's a that's a really tough one. I got a question for you before we go. That speeding ticket you got how how fast were you driving? Oh man, uh, I think I was only like ten ten over. Um, you know. I, I think that's what it was, which is not great, by the way. Don't speed. But, yeah, that's that's what it was. Is that still out there? Because those disappear after a while, don't they, the speeding tickets? Yeah. Well, because when they opened it all up, it was there. It, it, some of those, like, I had, a, I had a divorce record in that, so some of that stuff was in there. So they had, like, some very, very private, uh, like, like financial data that was not supposed to be public was out there. And not just for me, for a lot of people. So, like my like paycheck information and like my social security number and insurance numbers and all this other stuff. It's like, what are you doing to me here? Like, this is, this is not great. And given the number of people who don't like me sometimes, James, uh, it might, might not, might have an interest in sticking it to old Rob Port from the newspaper. Um, you know, uh, protect some of that stuff. I, I live a pretty open lifestyle for what I do for a living, but uh, that was a little too open for my tastes, you know? And, and again, Public records shouldn't hurt people, right? I mean, it shouldn't. Um, there's a certain amount if you're going to work in the public sector, like if you're going to be a public employee or you're going to be an elected official, the public spotlight comes with that. It's just a part of the job. And if you're going to work in that realm, it's something you have to consider. And I don't consider, I think sometimes people, they want to play the victim because public transparency puts them in some inconvenient spots. And my reaction to that is tough. But those of us who want to who, who support open records laws and want to use them and be be aggressive with them, I think one way that we protect that openness is by using them responsibly. Don't don't hurt people, right? If you embarrass somebody because they did something wrong, then hey, that's on them. Um, but but be be kind and be thoughtful in, in how you use these laws. Absolutely, and I got a train coming. And why don't you uh, sign off by? Letting people know where they can read your work and hear your podcast and all that. Yeah, yeah. You, can, uh, you can find me at Twitter. I'm just at Rob Port. You can find me on on Facebook. Just search for my name. Of course, I write for Forum Communications, so I'm in most of the North Dakota daily papers: um, Grand Forks Herald, Fargo Forum, Jamestown Sun, Dickinson Press. Um, that's really the best way. And if you ever ever people want to, if you have questions about open records laws. Um, or you just want to get in touch with me for any reason, uh, my email is rport at forumcom.com or just robport at gmail. That one works too. Awesome, Robport. Thanks for joining us on Dakota Spotlight and a better search for Barbara Cotton. I really appreciate your time. This was great. Yeah, thank you. I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit more about North Dakota open records laws. I'm taking a few days of work off next week, but I'll be back soon. I'm really hoping to get to Montana in the very near future. Thanks so much for listening, and thank you all for your patience as we continue on this better search for Barbara Cotton.
Dakota Spotlight is a production of Forum Communications, researched, written, recorded, and edited by me, James Wallner. This season is dedicated to my daughters and to all daughters everywhere. Some music in this season, including the song you're listening to now, provided by North Dakota-born, former Wishick area resident and UND grad Isaac Turner of Kalamazoo, Michigan, and his seemingly infinite number of musical bands and projects. This band is named Wowza in Kalamazoo. We also heard a little from his bands Out and the Hollis Group. Search for Wowza, Out, and the Hollis Group on Bandcamp.com or see the links in the show notes. Thanks much, Isaac and friends. To learn more about Missing Kids, check out the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at missingkids.org. To contact me, shoot me an email at dakotaspotlight at gmail.com. If you're loving this season, please tell your friends in real life and on social media and give me a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. And why not come and join us at the Dakota Spotlight Facebook group? Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Season 5, A Better Search for Barbara. Be safe, stay warm, and see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. To support my work, get early access, listen ad-free, and much more, please consider subscribing to Spotlight Plus. Apple users can even subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app. Learn more about Spotlight Plus at dakotaspotlight.com.